I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My interview today is with documentarian Sofia Lovara. Her film, Inside the Chinese Closet, is premiering here in Canada at the Human Rights Watch Film Festival. It's coming up on April the 6th. Uh, the festival starts on March the 30th this week. Check out some of the films. You're going to have to get out to see at least one. Please do. There are uh, eight films in total. Uh, check uh, check it out line at tiff.net. Sophia and I get into some pretty interesting issues. We talk about relationships. We talk about the LGBTQ issue, not only here in Canada and Europe and the West, but also in China, more importantly, the uh, subject of the film. And uh, we talk about fake marriages and transparency and trust and good parenting versus this notion of saving face and cultural changes and cultural shifts. And we talk about reasons to still be optimistic. Sylvia is terrific. You're going to enjoy the conversation. You're going to enjoy the film. Uh, I believe it's premiering on April the 6th at the Human Rights Watch Film Festival uh, with TIFF this year. Check it out and more interviews online at davidpecklive.com. Sophia Lavaro coming your way. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest today from the UK, Sophia Luvara. She is joining us here today to talk about her new film that will be uh, premiering at the Human Rights Watch Film Festival here in Toronto. Sophia, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. So I think you we're, we're working on a bit of a time frame here. I know you've got to get out to it. You're going to a film festival tonight, are you not? Or is something like yeah. that? In, in, and you're currently in London, England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the BFI Flair Film Festival um, at the moment, yeah. So uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about your biography, but I do want to know how do you go from sort of um, medical biotechnology in your past (laughs) (laughs) 
to documentary <laughs> filmmaking. I'm really interested in that link. Before we start talking about your wonderful and, and difficult film at times inside the Chinese closet, tell me tell me a little bit more about your, your path as a filmmaker. Yeah, it sounds funny even to myself when I hear that. <laughs> I, I bet it does. Yeah, it's actually, it was pretty straightforward. I was, um, I was sure I was going to become a very famous scientist somehow since the age of nine. Uh, but then after my master's degree, when I started working in a lab in cancer research, I did one year, about one year, and I've decided that that wasn't really what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I quit my job and I went to London to start doing all sorts of small jobs around cinema and advertising and, and documentary. And, it, and then I also took some uh, short course, documentary courses. And I started making my small short movies here and there. But what really did make the difference was, um, was attending the Documentary Campus Master School, mm. uh, which is a program uh, run by in Europe, um, in different countries in Europe. And they choose 15 projects every year. So I was chosen. And after that, uh, you know, it all, it all happened. I made this film and uh, it's doing very well now. So kind of, kind of an unlikely place for you to land. When you, when, when you look back, does it make sense to you? Yeah, actually, I, I was always into films, especially documentaries. But I never thought I could... You know, make that my career. Uh, I grew up with the idea that you have to either be a doctor or, you know, that documentary filmmaker is not really a career. Right. <laughs> so, that is quite funny thinking about it now. Uh, but then, yeah, then I, it took me some time to realize that actually you could if you if you work hard enough. And so I decided to give it a try. And I'm really happy that I did because I'm much happier now traveling around the world rather than staying in my lab. Um, the whole day. <laughs> right. <laughs> My daughter is eight, and she told me just this past weekend that she wants to be a biologist. So maybe I will have her give you a call, and you guys can have a chat about uh, about yeah. her future as a scientist. Yeah, give her a, a camera. Don't give her a microscope like my father did. <laughs> there you go. That sounds like great advice. So your film, Inside the Chinese Closet, I... I I, I found it kind of heartbreaking to watch on on a variety of levels and I, I, I'm, I, I felt drawn to it for a variety of reasons I guess partially because uh, you know one of the things that I like to talk about and I like to generate discussion around is this whole idea of social change and moving the conversation forward but I'm also a parent and I have young children and I don't really know where to start with my questions to you but is it, is it fair to say this movie, in fact, it is about so many things, but is it fair to say this movie is about poor parenting? Uh, in a way, it is. But, you know, it's also the... It's, it's very complex. It's the relationship between father and son, children and parents. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes the children, they just want the... Uh, the, the love of their parents so much they're willing to do anything for it and so you you question maybe they're not bad parents it's just the way the children uh, live with, with, the way the children interact with their parents 
So we have a we have this story really you follow I mean so many different characters in the film but we really follow two people we follow Andy and we follow Cherry and these are two um gay young gay men men and women living in China and the challenges that they're facing Can you can you talk a little bit about what drew you to the subject i'm always fascinated you know after after having interviewed quite a few documentary filmmakers over the past couple of years always fascinated to know how is it that you as a filmmaker landed in this topic or landed in this discussion or this dialogue what was it that drew you to the the subject itself was it a fluke and and i think i read somewhere in an article that andy was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of yours (laughs) (laughs) which which is which is lovely i so love that sort of disconnected relationality you know it's wonderful that we're all connected in this way and that you ultimately end up making this movie about these issues and these people beautiful beautiful stuff but tell me about you you know why did you land here well it was actually by chance because i was in china traveling and i thought you know from what i knew about china that homosexuality was something that you were not really allowed to go to clubs and there was not nothing um, that resembles something in Europe or in the US, and then I and then I found out that I was wrong, because it's been legalized since '97, and since 2001, it's not considered a mental disorder anymore. So there are clubs, and people are allowed to do a number of things that I, and to me, was completely new. So the theme uh, was interesting to me, but then from the theme to go to a story, it took some time. And uh, well, the, the main thing was I was going around and people in the clubs, uh, gay clubs, they, they always ask me, oh, can I take a picture with you uh, so I can show to my mom and dad that I have a girlfriend? Uh, so, yeah, why not? And uh, the things went on and on for a few times since I started to realize that this is a trend. This is something interesting. And I found out there are all these um, uh, wedding fair, fake marriage market, or how you want to call them. And so it's a big trend. Um, and again, the story was interesting. The theme was was really new to me. Uh, and then I had to find, obviously, the, the small thing that connects me to the story, which, of course, is the relationship between the children and the parents, uh, which is something universal. And I think that's, uh, that, that's that level where everybody can connect with, no matter where you're from or your background. I, th- I think... So, so in other words, what 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 the film really was about for you was about the relationships or the lack of relationships. I suppose you could say, in a way, it seems to me. I think anyway, what it seems to me is that the parents are more concerned about what other people think about them than they are about their relationships with their own children. Is that is that a fair statement to make? It is, it is, but at the same time, it's again this this need for the the children, for Andy and Cherry in this case, of uh, make their parents proud, no matter what. And, you know, most people at some point in their life, we all did at some point, we wanted to make our parents proud, mm-hmm. and we thought that making them happy, we would be happy, and we just did what they were expecting us to do. And in their case, it goes it goes very far. I mean, they are willing to compromise so much. Uh, they go to the extreme. But I think at a, at a smaller level, maybe all of us uh, went through the same the same thing. 
do do Andy and Cherry harbor any kind of you know at one point I think Cherry said you know if my father really knew he would beat me to death which is not funny at all um, yeah. I mean was that kind of a rhetorical statement that she was making just to make a point and and, and I guess the next question is do Andy and Cherry and others in the in the LGBTQ community do they harbor resentment toward their parents or do they just see this as you know what this is something we need to do and we're going to make it happen yeah this is something that uh, I found quite interesting they barely any never uh, have any resentment towards their parents they they're very understanding they, they think it's a problem mm. that they are homosexual and they have to deal with it somehow so very rarely you find people saying, oh, my parents just don't accept me. They have to deal with it. It's always, oh, we have a problem, you know. Right. It's, it's our family problem because I'm gay. And they try to make it work and to fix this, this thing that for them is a problem with fake marriages and all of it. So there's a sense in which uh, those in the gay community believe there are you know, it comes up in the film several times and in several different ways, including the psychiatrist that you go to see and so on, and some of the parental comments and even some of the, 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 the younger people. But there's a sense in which they believe they're not normal. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And would you say that's across the board in China from your experience or in South Asia? Is it, is it, is it, I mean, is that, yeah, is that something you come away from going, wow, they've got so far to go? In, in this respect because uh, at one point I think Cherry makes a distinction between the East and the West and saying you know they're not as open-minded as we are and I'm thinking well we're not as open-minded <laughs> as you think we are either yeah you know, exactly. you know? <laughs> yeah it's, it's true they think we are in this uh, yeah perfect world where everything is uh, is okay but obviously we're not but they are much further down the line um, their their parents are like you know our grandparents in a way the, 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 there is a very big gap so people of, you know in their 30s they have a different point of view but their parents are far far away um, and yeah I think they still have a long way to go in terms of education that's the main problem that I found especially in the countryside or you know in cities that are not as big as Shanghai and Beijing people are really undereducated in, in, in terms of what it is uh, what it is homosexuality they think is a illness brought from the west uh, americans brought this to, to us we we didn't have any homosexuals before you know those kind of things that, that right? it would it would make a huge difference if the government had some sort of you know even just talking about it in the media it would it would make a difference people would understand there is nothing wrong with it um, um no they still really have a long way to go it's yeah it's funny you know there's a joke there i think i think the west can be blamed for a lot of things but uh <laughs> yeah i don't think this is one of them but i i know exactly what you mean i've spent a lot of time in a lot of uh, different cultures over the years doing the work that i do and and to see the the cultural differences uh, the educational differences. I mean, when it comes to, you know, to to simple things in the development world, that where I work, uh, the idea of, of of washing hands. It sounds so condescending to say, oh, these folks need to learn how to wash their hands in this particular community in order to, so that they don't die from diarrhea. But the truth is, they really do need to do that. These local Cambodians or these local um, Malawians or whatever the case might be. And the reality is, there are all kinds of people here in this part of the world. Who need to learn so so i think you're absolutely right about 
education isn't i mean is that one of the takeaways for you uh, as a filmmaker that that um you know as a global race as a human race we've got a long way to go you know absolutely yeah yeah and Plus, you know, I'm from the south of Italy, which is uh, not the most developed place on earth. And also we have the Catholic, the, 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 the church and uh, religion. And I can tell you, I mean, it's not easy to be gay in the south of Italy where I'm from. It's not the easiest thing uh, in the world. And again, there is a lot of ignorance there as well and prejudice. And, and so I think, I've, yes, definitely there is a lot that, has, that can be done uh, to educate people all over the world and and not enough has been done and sometimes sophia sometimes don't you think we love to in the west especially in in, in the u.s and canada and, and european cultures don't we love to sort of point the finger yes i think so yeah i, th I think we do I, even though we may not actually point the finger <laughs> i think we do get a sense of sort of uh, uh pleasure out of like we're we're in the know you know we've made it we're liber we're we're educated we're liberated and so on and mm -hmm. and one of the things that i am always struck by when i travel overseas are the things that i learn the stuff that i take away from from other people from other cultures from other relationships yeah no you're absolutely right and plus you know we have this idea that uh, watching documentaries or reading the news and we think oh look at the way they are and it's so different from us. But then, if you look, if you look a little bit with a bit of more, uh, you know, a little bit further, you realize actually they're not that different. They're not that different from us. In many things, we are very similar all over the globe. It doesn't matter where you're from. Well, you know exactly, and it's something you said just a few minutes ago about living in in the south of Italy and how how difficult it was there. Uh, isn't you know you talked about difference is is there i mean i i want to believe there's similarity through difference and uh, you know my friends would all groan right now if i made that statement because they'd say oh david there you go being academic again what does that even mean <laughs> right but but i actually think there is something profoundly true about that and it's not my idea you know i'm borrowing it from from the films that I've seen, from the conversations that I've had, from the people I've met, from the philosophers that I've read, that yes, we're all different, but but we're all interconnected in one way or another. Are, are, are we not? Absolutely, absolutely. And especially when you talk about the basic things of family or uh, you know, sexual orientation, uh, religion even, you find out that we all pretty much think the same. <laughs> all over the world and we have the same problems uh, and it's something that you can easily connect to that's that you know that's why very often you watch films from other parts parts of the world very far from you but you still can connect because uh, fundamentally we we do have the same problems and things the same way Sophia can you tell me a little bit about your take on this whole idea of saving face and mm. I mean Without a doubt, this is one of, for me, one of the themes of the film, uh, one of the issues, it would seem to me, of of this idea of, I mean, the idea of trust is connected to saving face. You know, there's a line near the end of the film where, where one of one of the characters, and I don't know if it was Andy or Cherry or one of their friends, but they, they said something to the effect of, when, when we come out of the closet, our parents go in to the closet. Yeah. 
And, And I thought that was such a great line with respect to this idea of shame and guilt and fear and and it's all connected to everything you and I have been talking about over the past few minutes but I just wondered what you know insights you have to bring on this whole idea of saving face and and, and trust and relationships yeah it is uh, absolutely something that we all know in the Chinese culture is really strong uh, saving face with the other relatives or the neighbors and everybody in, in your community um, and especially when it, when it comes to marriage and children, that's a very big thing in their uh, in their community. But then again, if you think about small villages in Europe or in Canada or anywhere in the world, it's the same because mm. the smaller the place, you know, the more everybody knows each other and everybody talks about each other. So it is a, a typical Chinese thing. We all we all know about saving face, and we think about China. But then, it doesn't. It's not just Chinese. It's really everywhere in every small village, or you know, even in London, uh, that is such a big city. But then, if you know your neighbors, you you know they would talk about you, and you try to present uh, a, a, a you that is this good you that people will accept. Uh, and it's exactly the same for Andy and Cherry and their parents. Uh, and even, yeah, and it's, it's, I don't even know if it's going to change in the next generation or Andy and Cherry will, will feel the same. If they will realize this, this whole thing of saving face, it doesn't make any sense. Let's, uh, let's try to change or they will carry on with what they've been taught, what they're used to. Do you think, do you think Sophia, that it's uh, an old older school kind of a thing is it is it more traditional to, you know do, does the millennial generation hang on to this notion as much whether it's china or whether it's canada or whether it's italy i think it is it is it belongs to the older generation in a way but then it also depends where you where you live uh, and what sort of life you had if you come from a small village uh, probably doesn't matter if you're in China or Europe or anywhere. You will you will face the same problem. I wonder, you know, is it, so, so? What are we afraid of then? What are people living in a small village afraid of? What are, are we really afraid of? Others? Are we really afraid of what other people think about us? Is that what this is really all about? Yeah, I think we are afraid of not being accepted, mm. not part of it. Uh, you you can't be an island and. And you want to be accepted. You you want to be just like anybody else. Don't stand out for any reason. Uh, and that's probably what, what what's this old saving phase is about. Yeah, I think on I think on some level, I mean, don't you know? We all want to be embraced, right? We all want to be included. It's this idea, I suppose, of loneliness and and separation. But I think for me, what I've I think I've learned over the years. The irony is when we don't face these types of issues head on and we aren't willing to talk about them in a, I don't know, a transparent or honest way, doesn't it actually lead us away from more intimacy and better relationships? Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. If you can't be yourself, then you wonder all the people around you, your friends and family don't really know you for what you are. So you probably are more lonely than if you actually do speak out and, uh, and be true to yourself. But that's a, a difficult thing to, to do sometimes, I guess. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. And not for a second am I suggesting that it's an easy thing to, you know, to, to turn around hundred years of hundreds of years of, 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 of cultural differences and so on. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I think we all have our version of saving face. This is not just an Asian thing. This is not just Chinese or Southeast Asian. It's, 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 it's worldwide. It's global. It's a, it's a part of being human, it seems. <laughs> I guess the question is for me, as I guess as a philosopher and as as an, as an existentialist, how do you get to more? How do you get to more authenticity? So, so what I found so brilliant and ironic and and troubling about uh, uh, that came out in your film is here are these uh, young men and women trying to be real, trying to be true to themselves, and they're having to create fake marriages, and they're creating these fake relationships and yet I think it's Andy who says either way though I still want to be best friends with this person mm, yeah how 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 insightful is that how wise is that you know for 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 him to actually see through the sort of the bullshit of this and say okay well if you're going to make me create a fake marriage I'm at least going to get a really good friend out of this <laughs> yeah you know what I mean isn't that wonderful yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it makes sense actually when you when you hear his point of view you think okay so you because in some point somehow you will share a part of your life with this fake wife so you may as well have a good relationship with somebody you can rely on you can talk to you can you will have the same problem so you can actually relate um so it it is beautiful in a way. It's uh, and I also met people who were in a in a fake marriage, and they are really best friends. And so it makes you question this whole fake marriage. Of course, you know it would be better to be free and do whatever you want with your life. But then at the end of the day, if you really have to do it, it can be done in a way that makes sense. Well, all, all of a sudden it becomes very practical, right? It's a means to an end. It's a stepping stone to live a fuller, hopefully more rich life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Sophia, did you find that as you, uh, as you made the film, how long did the film uh, take you to, to, to make from, from sort of your idea and the beginning conversations? Is it, is it a, was it a five-year project? Or? Yeah, five, four years project, yeah, yeah. What did you learn along the way about this whole, as you say, this fake marriage market? Is it is it really prevalent in in China? Is it is it uh, bigger than you even realized? Yeah, yeah, it's huge, absolutely. Everywhere I went and everyone I talked to, they were either in a fake mar- marriage or thinking of having one. It's really much the the majority of people wants it. Yeah, it's quite it's quite remarkable uh, to. To me, that uh, anyone, you know, being a being a fairly young fa- father, that anyone would want to put their children through this, and yet it's really, it's a, for me, it's an interesting lesson in sort of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean, if if we think about the parents, obviously, there are lots of things you can say they they failed in so many ways. Uh, it's, it's hard to judge and uh, when I was making the film I was trying, right away immediately I, I was in the position of blaming them for all that happened to their children but then as you know the, thing, the time passed by and I talked to more and more people I actually realized and understood their point of view um, in a way that I didn't at the beginning they 
you know, they, at the end of the day, they are victims of the society and culture and ignorance. So they're not completely, they're, they're not the only ones to, to blame for the situation, I think. So, so am I hearing you right in the sense that when you started out, you were, you were a little more judgmental about the whole situation or that you were making more, more judgment calls, I guess, about, hey, you can't say that or, or yeah. oh, wow, how can you behave your, that way to your children? But as time went on, you were able to empathize more as you uh, kind of immersed yourself in the culture. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was I was more judgmental at the beginning, and also I was sort of preaching in a way. I had my moral value, thinking, "Oh, Andy, come on, you have to be free. You have to act like a free man." But then, but then you, and and that's only when you stay on the surface. Then, when you start to understand reasons and understand the culture, and uh, and their personality, and then you put yourself in a position you're not able to judge anymore or to give moral uh, to have you to stand by your moral value suddenly suddenly things that maybe seems crazy at the beginning then uh, you start to wonder maybe actually it's not that crazy maybe it's all right if it works for them whatever works so from your perspective are are things changing um did you see uh, slip, slip. I mean, you end the film with this wonderful fireworks display, which you know is is this celebratory kind of uh, you know period to the film and to the piece and so on. Do you really feel that way emotionally and spiritually, intuitively, that things are getting better? Yes, I do. I do. I'm I'm optimistic about it, and I think the next generation will be better and then better. And it's a matter of time, but it's happening. It's changing. I think. Um, so we'll probably have to wrap it up here in a couple of minutes, and I know you've got to get going to your your uh, your next appointment. Um, but I do did want to ask you did I did I catch that right? Did Andy actually ask you to marry him as well? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I <laughs> I thought so. I kind of laughed out loud. It was really quite a lovely, sweet moment. Tell tell me a little bit more about that. I, I got to know how you felt there. Did I mean did he take you totally by surprise? Well, I was yeah, I was surprised, but then at the same time, I could see that happening. I could, I could, yeah, I had a feeling that was going to happen, and uh, there was a part of me thinking, "Why not? I just do it. What's the problem? What's the matter? We just have this fake wedding, and I meet this family, and it's gonna be fun." And then, and then the other part of me was uh, maybe I shouldn't do that because you know it's uh, it's not something as a filmmaker I shouldn't interfere too much with his life um but then he made a decision for me so he decided not to marry me quite <laughs> <laughs> and and did you feel rejected by that no i feel i felt relieved <laughs> <laughs> yes that would have probably complicated certainly both of your lives a lot more actually uh, yeah yeah film particularly the film would take a completely different uh, yes. yeah, path and uh, I, I didn't want that I didn't want to become part of the film uh, so no it's good that we didn't marry, didn't get married <laughs> hey just before we wrap up I thought one of the things that was really interesting though in that se- sequence he makes the comment where he says you know he talks more to you than he does to his dad Mm, and it just yeah. it broke my heart sophia it did and it just and and you go how many families how many children how many parents uh, are 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 living in those kinds of relationships all over the world yeah you know That's very much uh, yeah, very important part of the film 
uh, the, exactly this. And he, the, the son feels so disconnected to his father. You know, he wished he could talk more and he could be understood, but uh, it's really heartbreaking. It really is, and it goes right back to your comment about aren't we all in this together, about we all just want to be loved and included and accepted. And and, and I think, I mean, there's so many messages to your film. It's really quite remarkable. But that, that for me, is probably one of the sort of the higher kind of, you know, level themes almost, if you will. Um, hey, did you, as you, as you, and maybe we should wrap it up with this question, but as you sort of, you know, through this four to five year process, how much of the story did you know before you went in? Or did you really, as as a documentarian in this case, was it really being revealed to you as you filmed? Yeah, I didn't know much about it. And it was really, uh, I was learning by by doing it. And I was understanding more and more each, each day that I was shooting. So it really was a learning process the whole the whole way through. Uh, also being, you know, different culture. I'm not from there. Uh, to me, it was all new. And it took time to to understand more and adjust. And the film also took time because I needed to to to, to really immerse myself into their society and culture. Well, I think it's a perfect way to end. Uh, Sophia Lavara here today, our guest on Face to Face, talking about her film Inside the Chinese Closet, premiering uh, here in Canada, I believe. Is that right, Sophia? Yeah. Uh, April the 6th. Uh, 6.30 p.m. at the Human Rights Watch Film Festival. And Sophia, thanks so much for joining us today. Congratulations on a beautiful and troubling film. And and I wish you well with your next project. What is your next project? Yeah, it's um, at the very beginning. Uh, it's about Italian mafia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm already interested. Can we book another interview right now? Is that a possibility? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Well, it's not like you've gone from uh, one challenging subject to another, but good for you. And uh, um, uh, congratulations once again, and thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. 